Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13 to chapter 53, verse 12. That's a better division. Chapter division, remember, is not by the inspiration of the Spirit. They're just to facilitate to find things. Sometimes it can be adjusted by a verse or by a, a section. And this is one of them. The message is entitled, The Suffering Servant of Yahweh. Having just um, preached a triumphal entry at the end of January, uh, I, I, I didn't feel good in doing the triumphal entry again. We just finished Luke. But what I want to do is I want to look at the triumphal entry in terms of the whole coming of Messiah from, a, from the perspective of Isaiah. And if you remember, Isaiah has so many prophecies related to the Messiah and the kingdom throughout his book. Uh, the future kingdom of Messiah will take place in the mountain of the Lord, as you know, Zion, the city of Jerusalem, where all nations will flow to it, being um, taught. And judged by Jesus Christ for a thousand years. Isaiah 2, 1 through 4 told us that. Then the Messiah is identified as the branch by Isaiah. Who is beautiful, glorious. As Isaiah declares the day of the Lord in chapter 4, verse 2. Then the mystery of, of the Messiah's birth, the kingdom and his office is given to us in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. The future millennial restoration as the Messiah reigns on the earth will be in person. Uh, perfect justice, perfect peace. Uh, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10 told us. And the sneak preview of the coming of Messiah in view of the character of his person, his mission, and his praise is in Isaiah 42, 1 through 12. The mission of the Messiah through the Son and the Father Consisting of the witness of his incarnation, exaltation, salvation is given to us in Isaiah 49, 1 through 13. Now, in our text, Isaiah provides the Messiah as the servant of Yahweh from the vantage point of the suffering servant, the fourth and the final servant song that is given to us by Isaiah. Let me read for us here. It says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him, for what has not been told them they shall see, and what they have not heard, they shall consider. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no former comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have uh, turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He who oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken, and they made his grave uh, with the wicked, but with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make my, his soul an offering of sin, he shall see his seed and shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he 
shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah again provides here the Messiah, the servant of Yahweh, as a suffering servant, um, the final um, um, in the fourth servant song. And it manifests through the following three things. First, the proclamation of the servant's coming. You find this in verse 13 of chapter 12 down to verse 3. I'm sorry, verse 13 of chapter 52 all the way to verse 3 of 53. The proclamation. Then you have the revelation of the servant's love. This is 53, 4 through 9. And then we have the exaltation of the servant's sufficiency. 53, 10 to 12. Polycarp called this chapter the gold and passion of the Old uh, Testament evangelists. This is the climax of all the prophecies that I gave you the introduction about the Messiah to this point in the book of Isaiah. All have been building up to this golden passage, the Holy of Holies. Let's begin here with the proclamation of the servant's coming. Verse 13 of chapter 52 down to 3 of 53. First look at 13. The servant in his coming would be crucified. What a way to start this passage. Notice the identity of the servant is my servant, God the Father's Son, no one else. The callers pay attention. Behold, this is the, in anticipation of a lack of attention by men to the plan of God through indifference and self-will. Once again, showing that man is not really concerned with the things of God or looking for God. Some interpret this section... Um, as Cyrus and Darius. But through the centuries, it has always been interpreted for the Messiah. The Jews universally interpret the chapter as messianic till Ben Ezra, about A.D. 1150. Then they began to attribute it to Jeremiah, Josiah, and to the people and the land, the suffering Nation. This is how they explain it. They spiritualize it now. Christians till the 19th century have also interpreted as messianic for Jesus Christ. But no one can fulfill the specifics here except the Messiah. The nation is clearly distinguished from the Messiah in Isaiah. There are two distinct things. Now notice that the inerrant prognosis here about the servant is that he would deal prudently. Verse 13 still. The phrase deal prudently means to deal wisely. The perspective is from the heavenly plan, not from the earthly perspective. Often we can't understand because God is doing it from the heavenly perspective. The implication being he would thoroughly accomplish the purpose of his coming. Nothing would keep it from happening. The interpretation, the servant's wisdom is for dying on the cross. That was the whole goal. Palm Sunday, he rides in as a triumphal Messiah, but yet he was riding in to die. The servant of Yahweh would be exalted and extolled and be very high, it says there in Isaiah 13, verse 13. Now look at verse 14. The servant in his coming would be disfigured. The many who would see the servant would be astonished at him. He would, uh, the word there astonished means that they would be appalled at his visage of the servant of Yahweh. The idea is an unbelief, shock in the appearance of what they saw. The positive and the negative will be determined by the context here it's in the negative, his visage. The reason for this appalling is twofold. Notice the masses would be astonished at him due to his visage so marred from any other man. Verse 14 there. The word visage refers to the face of Jesus. Remember he was beaten by the religious rulers. His beard plucked out, struck. 
He was crowned with thorns. The masses would be astonished, notice, at him due to the form being so marred more than the sons of man. The word form there refers to the bodily appearance. The verse describes the disfigured side of Jesus prior to the cross. They didn't say, and we'll see that we move down. They said, is that a man? His visit is so marred. The resemblance of Jesus was an appalling and so appalling as he would be abused, battered, deformed beyond recognition as a man. Pilate, remembering an attempt to secure the pity of the people, said of Jesus, Behold a man in John 19.5. Being God, he would become a man. Being the servant of Yahweh, he was a God-man. That's what makes the difference. That's why Palm Sunday and, and Easter and everything makes a difference. He's not only a man. He is the incarnation of God. Now look at verse 15. The servant, by his coming, would provide a message of the gospel. The very message. Servants shall sprinkle many nations. Some have translated the word sprinkle, um, startle, to leap or to spring as a response of the nations. Others have taken the word to mean purification of sin. The root word has the idea of expiation, to atone for guilt, resulting in purification. Leviticus 4 6, 16 14. It's all prophetic of Christ. The discovery of the Dead Sea scriptures, the scrolls, affirm the idea of expiation of sin and guilt. The reason for the word many is that not all nations or people will believe despite that he dies for all. Not everybody believes. Some people believe that Christians are burned out. They're self-deceived. We throw our life away. Living for something that doesn't exist. But we know better. The servants selfless act in view of who he was will be an amazement. Look at 15. The king shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told them they shall see. The rulers of the world will marvel and be at awe throughout the ages at the hearing of all that Jesus did for sinful men. They will scratch their heads. Being great, having power, if it's so, why would you do this? They will assess the selfless sacrifice from their own power to rule and compare themselves to Jesus, seeing how short they fall. <laughs> because human nature is greed and holding on to power and ruling. The king will consider what they had not heard, notice. What they are so ignorant of. What they are so mistaken about. Jesus throughout the ages will be considered for his supreme act of love. His supreme act of love. The ultimate fulfillment will be the understanding that's fullest form in the kingdom age, of course. Now notice as he comes into 53, which is still part of the um, passage. Verse 1 through 3, the servant in his coming would be snubbed by men. The principal culprit would be the nation of Israel. Verse 1 and 2, way before it happens. Based on the revelation of God's word, look at verse 1. The first question, who has believed our report, reveals man's failures of man to believe God by leaning to his own, what? Understanding. The revelation that the father would allow his son to suffer such an inhumane suffering and death was incredulous. Only few would believe that report. The suffering Messiah did not fit into the mind of the Jews, I've told you often. Yet the prophecies were filled in the scriptures about his suffering. And the seed of the woman 
who would be born by a virgin to be crucified, Genesis 3.15. Satan shall bruise his heel, a temporary wound, but the seed of the woman will crush his head, destroy him completely. Isaiah was a type of Messiah offered up as our substitute and raised from the dead in Genesis 22. Paul picks that type up and points it out in fulfillment of Jesus Christ, book of Hebrews. In the book of Isaiah, his coming, the nature of his coming and his reign on the earth is repeated over and over and over again. Chapter 7, chapter 11, chapter 42, chapter 49, the mention of few. Now notice the second question. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Revealing the assessing of a problem with the power of man. The arm of the Lord refers to the power of God. Revealed in prophecy and the gospel about his plan through his son. It is God's chosen plan with the power to save man. Romans 1, 16 through 70. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power God to salvation the Jew first and to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith according to Habakkuk 2, 4. The power of the gospel. He's not ashamed. It is God's way of destroying the wisdom of the wise and the prudent. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21. The power of God has been revealed to the people of God, the Jews. This is the context here. John quotes this verse in fulfillment of unbelief of Jesus by the Jews in John 12, 37 and 38. The decisive act of God to intervene on man's behalf was and is incredulous to Israel first. He was sent to his own, his own received him not. Look at verse 2. It's also based on the incarnation of God's Son. The servant would grow up before him as a tender plant. The references to the historical verification of his coming from a child in the womb to adulthood. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God who became man, occupied a womb just like you did. Was in there nine months just like you were. Came forth just like you did. He has an umbilical cord just like you did. So that no one can say, yeah, but he was God. He became man in every way except without sin. Notice the servant would grow as a root out of a dry ground, it says. He would come from an insignificant place, Bethlehem, Michael 5, 2. He would be raised in a place of contempt. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John 1, 46 says. <laughs> a shoot from Jesse, Isaiah 11, 1, Revelation 5, 5. The note is the servant would, be, would not come after the worldly majestic kingliness of man. The phrase form or comeliness refers to the outward person that would not be a true evidence of his inward nature. You see, Paul says if they, would have, if they could have realized that Jesus was God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they could have looked at Jesus and said, hey, don't mess with him, he's God. They wouldn't have crucified him. He veiled his deity with his human flesh. There would be no royal splendor or fleshly outward appearance to be attractive to man. Notice the servant will bear the marks of his humiliation. For when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. The reference is to the second coming of the Messiah when the Jews will receive their Messiah. The pronoun we refers to the Jews who will ask, where did you receive these marks? Which you will see in the house of my friends. Zechariah 13, 6. Some believe that passage doesn't apply to him and it's possible. But Revelation says, every eye will see him. And certainly Israel will call upon the name of the Lord as he protects her in the last three and a half years of great tribulation. The remnant of Israel. Paul speaks about Romans 9, 10, and 11. 
We are the wild branch. They are the root. This possibly also implies that Jesus will bear the very marks in the kingdom to remind us of his love for us. The pronoun we applies to the church also. Now notice the secondary culprit would be the Gentile world. Verse 3. First the Jew, now the Gentile. The servant would be despised and rejected of men. The idea is of looking on a servant with contempt, forsaken by men as the servant of man. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give a ransom for many, his life. This includes more than the Jews, by the rulers, the crowds, and his disciples, all forsook him, as you know. The servant would be a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. The reference to sorrow means pains. He would be able to identify with all human misery. No one will ever be able to say, Jesus, you don't understand my situation. You've never been where I've been. He was tempted in every ways as we are yet without sin. The reference to acquaintance with grief means sicknesses. For he would empathize and sympathize with those who are sick. Hebrews 2.18.4.15 Notice the servant would not be responded to as the redeemer of man. The Jews and Gentiles hid their faces from him due to the horror of his appearance of disgust. The word is used for the leopard in Leviticus 13.45. The Jews and Gentiles would not esteem or value him of any significance, but rather have contempt for him, calling him illegitimate. We not be, we're not born of fornication. Wow. What do you think would be the decision of a ruler of the, of the world. If that ruler announces coming to a foreign land and he knew that he would be dishonored, mistreated, and ultimately killed, do you think he would go? Remember, they're politicians. <laughs> they're the first to run. A bunch of girly men. The message has not changed since the days of Isaiah. Behold the Father's servant who was crucified for you. Maybe you don't know Jesus Christ this morning. Know that he died for you. If you were the only sinner, he died for you. This is my beloved son in whom the Father said he was well pleased. And he says, hear him, Mark 9, 7. As he spoke from heaven. The picture of Jesus in the mind of most people needs to be adjusted to the unrecognizable description of Isaiah from the religious portraits of a shiny little cross. With just a little blood coming down the brow. Mm -mm. He was unrecognizable as a man, Isaiah says. The act of his death enables a person to be forgiven for all sins. This is the not good news, the great news. Which of us um, have not committed things that we would not want no one to know? And to know and to believe thoroughly that God has placed that sin in the deepest ocean. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. <laughs> wow. The world calls us crazies. <laughs> Deluded. The Lord calls us wise. Wow. The act of his death enables a person to be forgiven completely. It says, how shall they per, uh, preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, 
who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For I, as Isaiah says, and he quotes them, the Lord has, has believed, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 15 through 17, quoting Isaiah 52, 7 here. Not everybody believes. Everybody believes Jesus is this, that, or whatever, as we'll see, but not everybody believes that he died for them and he's the savior of the world. So this is the proclamation of the servant's coming. Secondly, verse 4 through 9 of 53, the servant came knowing he would be misunderstood. The suffering of the servant was to bear our griefs and sorrows. The word grief means sicknesses. Sorrows means pains. It's already been alluded to here. It's specific. The two plural pronouns used by Isaiah are emphatic. Ours were the sicknesses and pains, not his. The solution of these two things was that he not only bore them on his person, but he carried them as the word. The Hebrew word for carrying means to take up and carry away vicariously. He did it for us efficaciously. And it's real and it's true. And it did happen. This is mentioned no less than 12 times in this chapter. If you mention it just once, that's sufficient. 12 times. Matthew quotes this verse in the fulfillment of physical healings that Jesus brought about in Matthew eight seventeen, Peter quotes it in fulfillment of our spiritual restoration and salvation in 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25. The exact prophecy, both quoted as fulfilled, one physically, one spiritually. The death, the atonement of Jesus is both physically and spiritually those that don't believe in healing for today, they do it saying that it only happened in the first apostolic church. It's for every person. doesn't mean God heals everybody. doesn't mean that when we lay hands, everybody gets healed. But we've seen some miraculous healings. God is sovereign. Notice the suffering servant mistakenly was assumed to have deserved the affliction out of his own guilt. This is the confusion when people look at Jesus. I'm interested in seeing O'Reilly's The Killing Jesus. Let's see how accurate it is. <laughs> On TV, they just made a movie thing. It should come out in a couple of weeks. Maybe this next week. Yet we esteem him stricken. means that those looking on Jesus on the cross would reckon and conclude that he was deserving that pain. Wow. Stricken of God means people would conclude Jesus was under the wrath of God. But for his own sins. We know different. But this is the mindset of people looking on. And afflicted means that Jesus was humiliated, degraded, and humbled by God. Not for others. But again... Believing for his own shortcomings by those who are looking on. Those that mocked him at the cross are the very evidence of this. This would be the wrong notion of those witnessing the crucifixion. They would misunderstand the goal and the plan of God sending his son. Notice the servant came in verse 5, knowing he would be punished on our behalf. He was wounded for our transgressions. Wounded means to be pierced, hence nailed and speared. The reason was for our transgressions, our rebellion, our self-will, our disobedience. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, we've been seeing that in depth in Ephesians. Dead in trespasses and sins. He was bruised for our iniquity. The word bruised means utterly crushed. 
or shattered. The reason, again, is given for our iniquities, meaning for our twisted or perverted crookedness. There is no straight person. We're all bent. You ever go on a job site and see bent nails? That's you. That's me. Don't look at a brand new nail nice and straight. That's what happens when you come to Christ. The old one's all bent, crooked, three, four different ways, all kinds of different combinations. The suffering was both penal and substitutionary. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, notice. He was chastened that a sinner might receive the benefit of reconciliation. He bore the suffering so we may have the peace with God as a benefit. Romans 5.1, justified. And by his stripes we were healed. The, this means and refers to the provisions of receiving healing for our infirmities. We've already touched on the physical and the spiritual, both sides. The provision does not promise, guarantee, or teach that all will be healed again. You have to be careful of that. Some people say, well, if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. Now, that could be, but it's not category straight across. The whole twisted doctrine of positive confession that blessings and cursings come from your mouth and you can't say nothing negative. Shut up. Have you read the Bible? Some of the greatest blessings God gives in the negative. Don't eat of the fruit in the midst of the garden. Oh, quit being so negative, God. Oh, you're giving a negative, give him now three positives so it doesn't feel bad. Are you kidding me? Psychology is such a sham. They're doing a big special on TV, what a sham it is. One of the shrinks, the top shrinks has gone rogue and just exposing the whole field. Amazing. And by his stripes we were healed. Wow. The New Testament provision is clear. James five fourteen through 15. Any man sick, call the elders of the church, lay hands on him, anoint him with oil. The prayer of the righteous avails much. His sins will be forgiven. Now notice in verse 6, a servant came to, um, to die for sinners. We all like sheep have gone astray. All. Sheep are used throughout the scripture to reveal the senselessness of man's tendency to stray from God. Sheep are not the smartest animals. When left alone, they are very, very vulnerable. In fact, if a sheep, just one of them, is looking this way and the whole flock is looking that way, he'll think everybody's gone, he's all alone, and start freaking out. They need a rearview mirror. They have turned everyone to his own way. Man has many opinions about God, as you know, and about the origin of God. And they all believe they're right. But each person choosing their own belief, they are very confident that it's the right way. But as you run it through Scripture, you find out that all religions, all opinions, all philosophies are wrong. And the Lord has laid upon him... The iniquity of us all notice. The servant died for those who had gone astray from God and self-will. Yet God accounted it to Jesus. Every person's iniquities. The phrase of us all means the masses, the entire world in general. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. The sins... And guilt were accounted to Jesus, even as he prayed in the garden. Listen, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matthew twenty six thirty nine, Second Corinthians five twenty one. God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday today, knowing this, all of this. Look at 7. The servant came in complete submission. The servant was oppressed and afflicted. The phrase means harshly treated and mishandled. 
You ever been mishandled? You don't have a smile on your face, do you? (laughs) The treatment was administered by the Jews, the religious leaders, and the Roman political leaders. Pilate, mainly. The servant opened not his mouth, it says. He had nothing to defend. All was false, but all was according to God's plan for the redemption of man. He told Pilate he had no power to turn him over to the Jews, to even put him to death in John nineteen ten through 11. You have no power unless it be given to you. Boy, Pilate, man, whew, what a witness Jesus laid on him. He was judging Jesus. Jesus turned around. He was judging him in his own hall. He said nothing before Herod, who only wanted to see a miracle, as we saw in Luke 23, 9. The servant was led as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before his shears, silent, opening not his mouth. And when they scourged him, as you know, the cat of nine tails, 13 stripes to the left, to the right, and 13 over the shoulders. And every time you would confess to a crime, then the next would be lighter. Well, Jesus couldn't confess to anything because he was sinless. If he confessed out of pain, he would have been a liar. So he took all 39 with full force. The phrase is the lamb to the slaughter means the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is called the Lamb of God in John 1, 29 and 36. The song of the redeemed in heaven says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, Revelation 5, 12. The silence was because he knew he was the substitute for sinful man. Again, Paul tells all about us, about him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, as I just said, he became sinful who knew no sin. That you and I might be the righteousness of God in him. Memorize that verse. When you start thinking that God doesn't love you. Or when you think that someone is worse than you. And you're a little better. Pretty amazing. Look at verse 8 and 9. The servant came and was treated like a criminal. In verse 8, the servant was taken from prison and from judgment. He was not given the proper time between the accusations, the trial, the imprisonment, as we've seen, and the judgment prior to his execution. It was all illegal. The entire religious and civil trial of Jesus uh, from start to finish was illegal altogether. They broke their own laws, the servants' injustice during that generation. Who will declare them is the question. The corruption of the religious rulers was immense. The self-serving power of Roman government through Pilate was evident. The indifference and apathy taken towards Jesus by the people was revolting. The power that the powers that were only interested in getting rid of Jesus and not in getting to the truth. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? Don't confuse the truth with the facts. <laughs> or don't confuse the issue with the truth of the facts. The truth doesn't matter today. All of these warnings to all who hear the gospel. Notice the servant was put to death. In the prime of life, he was cut off, executed violently, prematurely. He was so being innocent of any crime, the greatest injustice ever done. He was executed in the place of God's people. The Jews and the Gentile to come. Verse 9, the servant was to have 
an honorable funeral. He would make his grave with the wicked. Jesus was crucified between two thieves on the cross who would revile him. Jesus was buried with the wicked or ungodly and guilty. He would be buried with the rich at the end. The man Joseph Arimathea, as you know, provided the tomb, Matthew 27, 57 to 60. The grave had never been used. Jesus used it for the weekend only, didn't need to. He occupied a womb that had never been defiled or entered. He occupied a body without sin. And he occupied a tomb that had never been used. (laughs) Jesus is a little different than most men. The servant suffered all these things being innocent because he had done no violence because there was no deceit in his mouth, verse 9 says. That was a father who swam back and forth with his family. They were on a, on a boat as they went out on a weekend and it kind of uh, ran to some trouble. So he ran, swam back and forth getting every one of them to the shore. There was one son left on the boat And um, his wife says, you'll never make it. He says, I promised him I would go back for him. And so as the father swam out and looked up to his son, his son looked down to his father and he jumped in. Both of them. Embraced in each other's arms, drowned together. But see, he couldn't stay on shore. He promised his last son he would go back and get him. You understand? That's what we don't understand about God. He's so different from us. Jesus is still misunderstood today. Many thinking that uh, he's merely a good man, a good teacher, a prophet, but not God, not the Savior of the world. But if he isn't that, then he can't be a good man. He can't be a prophet. He has to be the greatest liar in the world. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was of God, and God was the Word, John 1.1. 1, 1. And the Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, John 1.14. You must believe that, or you cannot be saved. The clear message that must be communicated from the pulpits of America today is that Jesus paid the price for our sins by his blood. And he paid it to the Father. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He didn't pay it to Satan like many of the false teachers of the positive confession movement. Fred Price, Hagen, and Copeland and company. You better know who the payment was made to. It was made to the Father, not to Satan. That's blasphemous. The Son of God came in the epitome of his holiness to take man's place on the cross to be the propitiation for our sins and not ours alone, but the whole world, First John 2, 2. That which satisfied the payment, the debt. The Lord Jesus is still being treated like a criminal by many today and rejected They, in fact, are against him, declaring that he did not die for them, being guilty of the greatest sin, sin against love. Luke 11, 23. Wow. This is the revelation of the servant's love. There was nothing being considered about himself at all. It was us. Notice thirdly, the exaltation of his sufficiency in verse 10 through 12. 
In verse 10, the servant became a sin offering to God. The pleasing of the father to bruise or crush him and put him to grief was that the father made the soul of Jesus, listen, an offering for sin. Once again, the substitute for man. You say, you already said that. Listen to it again. That's why he keeps repeating it. From the determinate counsel for knowledge of God, Acts 2.23, Peter said in the day of Pentecost, the Dead Sea Scrolls read, but Yahweh was pleased to crush him and to pierce him. God the Father killed his own son for you and I. From the predetermined counsel for knowledge of God. The Father was pleased with the accomplishment. He would see his seed referring to those to be saved through his sacrifice. He would prolong his days referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The grave, the grave could not hold him. Hades, hell. And the pleasure of the Lord would prosper in his hand, referring to the efficiency of his offering for sin to forgive all sins. Verse 10 at the end there. The pleasure taken was not in the suffering, but in the accomplished goal. The work of atonement was complete as Jesus cried from the cross. It is finished. John 19 in him you're complete in him dwells the sum total of deity Colossians 2, 9 and 10 now notice 11 the servant became the justifier of many then the servant Jesus would see the labor of his soul and be satisfied he would not regret it he would rejoice as another giving birth or a mother giving birth despite the harsh labor. You ladies know about that. And when you see that little baby. It's all worth it isn't it. The servant by his knowledge. God's righteous servant would justify many he says. Now many for not all would or will believe the gospel. The limitation is not upon God as Calvinism teaches. The limitation is upon the evilness of man rejecting the gospel. God died for the whole world. Not all would or will accept Jesus as Messiah, Savior, and repent of their sins. The servants shall bear their iniquities. This is the only reason for man being able to be saved. This is the only reason why man can have fellowship with God, you and I. Jesus suffered an unknown spiritual agony like no other. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me for the first time from all eternity? Jesus would literally separate from the Father as he became sin. We'll never be able to understand that. He's the Savior of the world, not of the chosen frozen Look at 12. The servant became the intercessor for sinners. Therefore the father divided him a portion with the great. The great men who have power and authority and those who would admire him. But of course he stands high above all and separate from all. The servant would divide the spoil with the strong the spoil refers to the plunder taken in the victory as Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, making an open public display over them and led captivity captive as he took the, those who were in the bosom of the Father, um, those who were um, down in paradise, Colossians 2, 14 through 15, Ephesians 4, 9, and 10. And he took him to heaven. And he emptied the side of the bosom of the Father, the bosom of Abraham, paradise, place of comfort. Notice the reason given are four. Because first, 
He poured out his soul unto death. He was committed to the cause of the Father. He despised the shame of the cross for the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12, 2 says. He would be reunited with the Father. That was the joy. Secondly, because he was numbered with the transgressors. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. There is none good, no, not one, not even you. Romans 3, 10 and 11. Thirdly, because he bore the sins of many. To as many as received him, to them he gave the authority to become the sons of God. John 1, 12. To as many as received him. That's our responsibility to respond to the gospel. Not as many as Jesus chose. Not as many as Jesus rejected. Read the scriptures. Whosoever will can be saved. John 3.16 says. Whosoever. No one's excluded. All must come the same way. But fourthly, in order because he made intercession for the transgressors, he's the only way, the truth and the life. Jesus, John, in John 14, 6, Jesus stated very, very clearly, that verse destroys everything and everyone and every system that says they can get you to heaven. He is the only way. That's radical. That is as narrow-minded as you can get. But when you go target shooting, you want to hit the bullseye, right? When you hit the bullseye, does the guy next to you say, you're very narrow-minded and you're shooting? I don't think so. I told that to a Muslim over in Turkey. At the bazaar, I was waiting for the ladies to come out and he kept kind of trying to sell me things and and he says, uh, where are you from? I said, America. He says, what do you do for a living? I said, I said I'm, a, I'm a preacher and a teacher of the word of God. He goes, oh. He said, well, we have a holy book too and this and that. I said, you know, I said, have you ever gone shooting? <laughs> I said, I aim for the bullseye. Jesus is the bullseye. Everything else is a ring outside of the bullseye. He goes, Oh. <laughs> He is the only name, Acts 4.12. He's the only media between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. He's the only one that's to be worshipped, Philippians 2.5 through 11. A name highly exalted. He is the only one able to make ongoing intercession for sinners, 1 John 2.1. Wow. It's like if I deposited $100,000 in your bank account this morning. And I tell you about it. But you don't believe me. And you just go on with your life. And 20, 30 years go by and you die. And the money is in an account. It's just there and you just never drew on it. Wouldn't it be foolish to at least inquire? To find out if I'm a liar or I'm telling the truth. <laughs> you have nothing to lose. You've got hell to lose and heaven to gain. That doesn't sound like a bad deal to me. Jesus became the sin offering of the Old Testament to take the place of the guilty person. Prophetically, Leviticus 4. Every person in the world. There is not a person that's ever been born or will be born that does not need forgiveness from the atoning work of Jesus Christ to enter heaven. The reality of every age is that many are choosing to go to hell while very few are choosing to go to heaven. Matthew twenty sixteen, And it is a choice. There is no predetermined counsel that says you are headed for hell and you cannot change. The gospel tells you you're free to choose where you're going to spend eternity. The Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for the saints. 
as a faithful high priest in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, 7, 25, 9, 24. So you and I as Christians, we have a great advantage. That regardless of all the chaos that comes into our life or our nation or the age, the generation we're living in, that we can be stable and set because our eyes are upon Jesus and we realize that all that's here is very, very temporal. At best for a little while. We were looking at some home movies last night and 20 years back and 30 years back and we looked and we saw how young we were and some of you those here were there in some of those films and some of the uh, things we've had and, and how time flies so temporal and yet if all it was to get some cars and to get a little house and to get some money in the bank and then when you're ready to enjoy you croak is that I, that's all it is. It's pretty cruel. That is cruel. Nothing wrong with the things, but the things don't make us what we are or teach us to live. Some of the happiest persons have very, very little. Some of the most burdened people are those who have so much. This is the exaltation of the servant's sufficiency. As he rides in on Palm Sunday, he knows all of this. Yet he's committed to carry it all through that you and I could repent of our sins and spend eternity with him. Which of us can deserve that? Or do deserve that. Not one. Not one. Every one of us. When we get to heaven. It's a place that we don't deserve to be at. And we'll know every. Day. Second. Year. From our perspective. In eternity there's no such time. That we're there because of him. And nothing else. Nothing else. And so Isaiah has provided for us the Messiah, the servant of Yahweh, from um, the vantage point of the suffering servant here. By the proclamation of the servant's coming. The revelation of the servant's love. And the exaltation of the servant's sufficiency. 700 years before it took place. How amazing. And you don't believe the Bible? <laughs> you think it's just a regular human book? Coincidence? If you think these guys were lucky, they should have played the horses then with this kind of luck. No coincidence at all. God knows the end from the beginning. The question is, Will you respond to the gospel today? Will you decide to go to heaven or will you continue to be stubborn, dedicated, determined to go to hell? We pray you turn. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, your goodness. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. And we pray, Lord, that in all things... You will be the one dealing with our hearts. We lift those who are here, those over the internet. And the Lord, you will just uh, allow them to understand your love for them and your grace to save them, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved, to turn from your sin, to ask Jesus to forgive you, and he will give you a brand new heart of flesh, give you the Spirit of God make you His child, all by grace through faith. If this is your decision. Right now, right where you sit or over the internet, you can ask Him to forgive you. This is your prayer of repentance to the Lord Jesus. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. 
Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.